Welcome back to the Snack Walls Podcast. I'm Mike Roberts, your host, and we're here to talk about increasing and maintaining diversity in tech beyond the perks. While companies think they can lure people in with unlimited PTO and dogs in the office, we're here to talk about how you keep them. All right, I'm going to throw to our special guest today in a few sentences. Can you tell us who you are and what it is that you do? Uh, well, my name is Gary Ware. Uh, I run a company called Breakthrough Play, and it's my mission in life to use the power of play and applied improvisation to help individuals and organizations connect better, be more creative, uh, and at the end of the end of the day, bring more joy and fulfillment. I like that. Love having fun, and especially if we can bring that into our workplace, makes life so much easier because we spend so much time at work. So you got to make it enjoyable. Um, I'm hearing from some leaders in tech that finding diverse talent is a challenge. What are your thoughts? Well, I have this belief uh, that, you know, based on your view in life, yeah, it's that self-fulfilling prophecy. And I agree that, um, you know, there needs to be more diversity in tech. Uh, And I was actually leading a workshop with a company, um, and it was after – all of the things that was happening in the U.S., um, you know, after the killing of George Floyd and, you know, the civil unrest in, in this organization, they wanted to bring their team together to have a town hall meeting. And I was facilitating that. And one of the questions that they went off into uh, virtual breakout rooms was to discuss is, you know, how can we bring more diverse people? And on the surface, you know, the first thing that everyone said, well, we don't you know, we don't see enough diverse candidates. We don't, you know, see any any uh, people of color come through. And then we asked a little bit deeper and we said, well, why? And when they started uncovering and uncovering and like that onion, they were pulling back all the layers. Right. They realized that in the places they were look, <laughs> yeah, there weren't diverse people. And, and it required some extra effort on their part to figure out, well, where are these diverse candidates? Where can we find them? Are we... You know, are there certain schools that have a more diverse uh, sort of background? Should we be looking there? Should we even go back as far as we can and think of, well, how can we support in our neighborhoods those inner city schools to um, make people of color feel like this is an option for them? Absolutely. And seeing seeing people and knowing people that are in that space, I think is the easiest way to start early when you're looking at like, how do we make an impact there? I love the idea of like going into an organization and, and really, like you said, peeling back the layers. If you can name it, you can tame it. Right. So if they can identify what some of those gaps are, like if you're only going to progressively white institutions of higher learning, then you're probably only going to get X types of candidates. So I think that's, Totally awesome that you're out there making that kind of an impact out in the space. So that said, what do you think about the push to remove the requirement for CS degrees for software engineering roles? And see, this this is a great question. And I feel like this is a step along the way of trying to get a diverse um, pool of, of candidates. It You look at where people are getting their education. Yes, you know, there are prestigious universities that are, you know, pushing the envelope as it pertains to things in the CS industry. But 
you know, that's, you know, privilege in order to get to college, uh, you know, that's a privilege. And, you know, with the internet and with um, so many other resources, uh, I have a belief that you can get that education so that you can, um, you know, do it on the fly. And maybe some of these people are self-learners. Maybe, you know, some of those people have mentors that taken them under their wing. I know for a fact, so I went to the Art Institute in um, Santa Monica. Doesn't even exist anymore. And it was more of a trade type school. And all the things that we learned in school are non-existent. Learned on like Flash 1, you know, before Photoshop CS. And all the things that I learned uh, that have me where I am today in my career, I learned outside of school. So, I yes, I have this $80,000 piece of paper that basically says I know how to learn. And so I feel like there are other ways that you can get that those candidates without them having a degree. I like how you, you – that's a great answer. I like how you said it demonstrates your capacity to be able to learn, right? And that's what I think is in, invaluable. I agree. And that's what I think the gatekeepers are focused on is like setting up some barrier that says, okay, if they get over this, then I know they know how to learn, right? Because to your point, when I went to school and um, took some computer science classes in undergrad, it was like, it was like Fortran. It's like they were teaching yeah. Fortran. <laughs> I know, I've been coding for a while, but still like that's, I don't think much of that is relevant today. <laughs> I mean, COBOL is even in more use than Fortran right now. So, yikes. So that said, I think I might have an insight on this question, but what do you think about the apprenticeship pattern? Do you think that would work for technical roles? I do. Because if you think about, like what we said earlier, how could you get someone that has the ability to learn, that has that hunger and drive, and I, I think it was Forbes that they surveyed some of the top C CEOs and leaders. And it was interesting. Someone's technical ability was only 30% of their success. And if you think about the old school apprenticeship, bringing someone under your wing, uh, showing them how, you know, how to work, you know, how to get things done. And yes, you're going to learn those technical skills so that you can you know, uh, be able to do the job, but you're going to learn so much more. You're going to learn about grit. You're going to learn how to be adaptive. A lot of those things you don't learn sitting in a classroom. Correct. And, and yes, with, with like computer science and things like that, it is very hands-on. It's very technical. And yes, you need to learn that, but there's something about having a mentor almost like download their knowledge of like, Hey, you know what? This is, you need to avoid this. You need to do this. And they're going to give you that real-time information, and you'll probably get so much more wisdom. So I yeah, absolutely. all about the apprenticeship. I, I love the the sort of the lived experience exchange there where folks can say, eh, like, they might tell you this, other but let me show you how we actually do it. And this is how it works out in the real world. So that's an amazing, I think, take on, like, why apprenticeships matter. Um what advice would you share with companies that are looking to retain diverse talent? So let's say they do a great job of acquiring and they have this diverse uh, flood of folks coming into the organization. How do you make sure that they stay and they feel like this is the right place for them? So there's two areas uh, I definitely want to focus on. Uh, focus on. One, 
Uh, there's an amazing book uh, by, um, I believe his name is uh, Neil Dulcie and Lindsay McGregor. Uh, the book is titled Prime to Perform, and it is the science of total motivation. And they say, um, you know, for, for once we can we can have metrics on culture because culture has been that elusive thing. It's like, Hey, how do we have great culture? And, and companies that once had great culture, something happens and, and then the culture crumbles because it's not in uh, intentional. And so in that book, they talk about the three direct keys to motivation. Um, and then they talk about the three indirect and they say most companies, they focus on the indirect and those are the things that are going to optimize for tactical performance. So your ability to okay. like, do a job, but it's not going to optimize for adaptive performance, the ability to think on your feet, the ability when challenges arise to actually have the motivation and the drive to actually want to go above and beyond. And so the, I'll briefly tell you like the three motivators and for companies, if you can focus on the direct motivators, you can get people to stay. And then I'll mention about diversity and why, what you should focus there. Sure. So, so the, the three direct motives that they mentioned in that book are play, purpose, and potential. So play, how can the employees see the work as play? Not the, hey, we're playing, but see, um, I like to say childlike versus childish. When you bring in that childlike mind, you have creativity, you have wonder, you have curiosity. Those are all amazing attributes that are going to get someone uh, to dive into the work. So purpose the impact of the work. Um, you know, someone may be, you know, churning out code, uh, but the impact of the code that they create on the customers or on the company, you know, that's important. And you can measure that, you can optimize for that. And then potential, you know, bringing in new people and they can see their potential to grow within the organization, that, that's important. The interesting thing is most organizations, they optimize for the indirect motives, which are, the indirect motives are uh, emotional pressure. So, hey, if you make a mistake, that's going to be shame on you. Or, you know, they don't, you know, people don't want to make mistakes because they're going to feel like they're disappointing someone. Um, you know, I like to call that the mother, uh, the mother syndrome of like, oh, if I make a mistake, mama's going to be mad. Uh, so that's emotional pressure. The other one's economic pressure. And so that is, you know, where bonuses comes in. Uh, that's where, right. hey, if I don't hit this quota, I'm not going to reach certain things. And again, that's great for optimizing tactical performance. But when you are focusing so much on that, you get behavior that you wouldn't have had. Otherwise, you get people that, again, you know, focusing on, you know, people that are, are coders and whatnot, they may be, um, if they have like a, a quota, like, hey, we have to get so many lines of code, code out, and, and we're focusing on all these indirect measures, they may shortcut, they may, you know, not take the time to go back and review things. And that will result in, more mistakes and things like that. And then at the end of the day, it leads to the last indirect motive. And that's inertia where it is so far removed from the work. You're just doing it just because you were doing it yesterday. And you're like, Oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm here and it is what it is. And that those motivators are so far from removed from the work. Like you're not going to get someone to go. So that is how to just keep culture cultures in check. But now focusing on diverse um, population, this is where it's important to think about, you know, why would they even want to be there? You know, do they feel like their needs are going to be heard? Do they feel like, um, you know, the people that are at the top really care about them? 
you know, do you have other? Uh, so again, going back to the direct motives, you know, the potential. Do you have people of color on your board? You know, is that even an opportunity? You know, right. and so that is something that a lot of organizations, especially if they want diverse, uh, they want diverse population. You know, to try to think about that, and also think about things from you know, different cultures perspective. Uh, someone that I really admire, her name is Michelle Kim. Uh, she runs a company called um, Awaken and it's a diversity inclusion, uh, uh, di- diversity, equity, and inclusion type company. They do a lot of really great workshops. They hold a lot of space for these conversations. And she brought up a good point of some of the things that are discredited will make people of different eth- uh, ethnicities and backgrounds actually shy, shy away. Um, and again, these are these microaggressions. These are the things that we think are normal that, again, are going to make someone feel like they're not home there. And one of the ones that I learned, and I didn't really think about this, she was saying that uh, a number of people where English is not their first language. When you spend so much effort criticizing people's grammar, criticizing, you know, the, you know, the way people talk, they may not feel welcome there. And again, I know all the the people that are the sticklers for grammar and stuff like that are, are like they're the hairs on the back of their necks are starting sure. to crawl. But again, if someone were, you have to think about it. They grew up speaking one language and they had the uh, tenacity to learn another. Language. I barely know English. I'm just going to be honest. I barely can speak English and they could, they could speak so their language. And so English, right. English is challenging. It is so challenging. And they make some mistakes on grammar or something like that again, and then they're criticized for that. They're going to make it's going to make them feel less than again, things like that, looking, you know, pulling uh, the curtain back in and thinking about, like, what are the things that we're probably not even conscious to that we've done it just because that's just how it has been done that may make people feel like they don't belong. Uh, I, you know, uh, I'm a black man. I have uh, locks. Uh, for the longest time, locks was not considered a professional hairdo. I remember when I first got them. They people I, I admire people that can that can stick with locks. And and this is the thing: if you see someone that has locks and you were considering hire them, hire them because guess what? It takes dedication. When I first got my locks done, they looked weird. People were like, "What's up with your hair?" Because they were like all wiry and stringy, and I was I had to go through that. It, like it was an awkward phase, very awkward phase, just like when you're learning anything. Is but I stuck with it. I was dedicated to what it takes. It was funny because I got locks because I was lazy because I wanted something that was easy uh, to maintain and I didn't want to just go completely bald. And so I saw people with locks. I'm like, wow, that looks good. I want locks. And then once I got them, I was awakened to like, hey, guess what? This takes more maintenance than the hair that I had before. But I stuck with it. And again, there's these things that it shows other uh, sort of potential. So I'm just going to leave it at that. Yeah, I think that's a great a great demonstration of a signal that sometimes people pick up the signal and they misinterpret it. And instead of them seeing it as a positive attribute, they, for whatever reason, see it as something else. So I think that's great, a great example of how people should do more self-evaluation, think about their um, implicit biases and how those might be applied towards like, are we being inclusive and are we aware of the ways that we might be pushing people away or pulling people towards us? So that 
there's a positive side, right? People that are more woke and are aware of what it takes to be able to tell people you can feel comfortable bringing your whole self to work every day. And we value the diversity of your culture and your opinions and your insights, the way you think. I think all of those things are amazing. So we talked about apprenticeship patterns. We talked about retaining diverse staff. And I love some of the examples of folks that you've mentioned already, but is there anybody else that you think of and you'd like to acknowledge as a leader and should be invited to be a guest on a podcast like this? Oh, yes. And I, and when I was thinking about that question, I was um, the first person that came to mind, uh, amazing guy. His name is Will Reynolds. Uh, he, he runs a company called Sear Interactive uh, based out of Philadelphia, um, and they have grown um, and they have office Philadelphia and San Diego. And one of the things that I admire about Will is he, he's such an amazing person. He grew the company himself and he was a CEO. He, you know, it's an SEO based company and he's done the work. It wasn't like one of those things where he had an idea and then he you know brought on a staff. He was, it was in his garage. Talk about like a garage startup. He was the one sort of hustling and grinding. And then he got to the point where the company was too large for him to handle. And he stepped down as CEO. He found another CEO, uh, another person to be CEO. And he is like uh, still working on accounts, still working and doing the things that he loves. So he's very honest and he has some amazing opinions on, you know, diversity and, you know, based on his lived experience and, you know, challenges, he will speak very openly about the things that his company is uh, going through and how they've, um, you know, how they had to overcome it. And he would be an amazing uh, person. All right. So Will is is already on the radar. There's been a few other people that have mentioned him. So I'm definitely going to see if we can get him on the program and hear his thoughts about this, because I feel like multiple people have said, this is the guy, this is the person that we should be talking to. So, all right. So where can we find out more information about your company and what you're working on? Yeah. So especially if you are ready to company or you are at a company and you're, man, I wish I can level up these soft skills that Gary uh, talked about. You know, I'm, I'm really great on the technical side, but yes, I want to be more resilient. I want to be more adaptive. I want to be more creative, more confident, um, or I want my team to do that. You know, head over to breakthroughplay.com. Um, you know, that's where, uh, where you can find some examples of my work. I, I'm on the social medias. Uh, you know, my, my name is easy to spell Gary where most people say it as one word. It is what it is. That's what happens when you have <laughs> short names like that. And uh, yeah, I love to connect with people and talk about stuff like this. Great. And we'll, we'll throw links in the show notes. It'll be super easy for people to, to find uh, your company and your website. And so last question I have for you, and this is the most challenging and by far the most important. And that is what have you been snacking on lately? What's your favorite snacks? All right. So, uh, I have a big sweet tooth. I, I, I don't know what's up with that. I, I love, uh, cakes. I, I love gummy bears. I love stuff like that, but I have to admit, uh, that it, it's not something, especially when you're in a global pandemic and you don't get out as much, something that you should be snacking on all the time. The other thing is I have a three-year-old son and yeah. I've learned as a first time parent that, um, after a while the kids take over. So what I've been snacking on is whatever my wife have for my son. And so that includes uh, these uh, veggie chips. And right now it's okay. Halloween time. Uh, so like these those? are ghosts and bats. 
and they my son will eat them because they look cool um and they have vegetables so hey win-win um also pirate's booty <laughs> Ooh, pirate's booty. I, I, I laugh every time i think about that um and um i didn't bring it in here but trail mix anything that we can buy in bulk at, at costco uh and my son will eat that's what i'm snacking on awesome those are some great snacks <laughs> so <laughs> i hear a lot of examples when you start with the cake i was like "Ooh, cake is good but that's that's more than a snack that's more like a dessert <laughs> right yeah I, i'm see I've, I've learned this thing called portion control and to save those things for special moments uh but like yeah for yeah. for snacking hey it fooled me too i'm like hey look i'm eating some veggies and you know and it satisfied uh a little bit yeah. of crazy. And I like the smaller sample sizes of the portions too. Right. If I open a regular bag of those like veggie straws, oh they're man. gone. They're gone. Just can't do it. They're gone. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Gary, for coming on the program. I appreciate your insight. Uh, this has been a phenomenal uh, episode. And so I'm just super excited to see if I can find some ways I can bring some of this like playfulness into our workspace. So we'll be connecting with you for sure. Woohoo. My pleasure. The San Diego Code School is a proud sponsor of the Snack Walls podcast. The San Diego Code School is leading companies to tech equity. The tech-enabled apprenticeship program is a venture whose heart is to do a lot of social good and do good work. You can help San Diego Code School secure funding for change by hiring developers, bringing a team in to relieve your backlog, or becoming a program sponsor. You can visit us on the web for more information at http colon forward slash forward slash sdcs.io. 